listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of Time Adds Up Sausages. My name is Kevin Boris. This is Paul Finney. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? You alright? Yes. Still, still fine. Still alive. That's a bit harsh, but yeah. Weird times that we're living in. We're fine, aren't we? We're, we're still broadcasting. How many people listen? We're not quite sure. I'm, I'm too afraid to look at the figures of how many people listen to us. But hey, fine. We're still here. So... Um, all the time we've got uh, an audience, which we'll, we'll keep going. Um, now, so um, a slightly different episode again, because we did go rather over time when we had Paul Mortimer on. It was nearly a two-hour episode, one of the longest podcasts of all time. However, um, the format has changed a bit of our podcast. Obviously, this is ostensibly hard to believe a football podcast, but there's only football to talk about. So we kind of switched around a bit, and we're having these long-form interviews, which is your idea, Paul. I think it's a great idea. Thank so, you. Hello, so we've had, but there is, so far, we have to mention this, there is a QPR connection, isn't there? Let's be fair. And if anyone's not listened to this podcast before, I support AFC Wimbledon, Paul Sports QPR, and the three guests we've had so far, Paul Mortimer, Charlton Athletic, Crystal Palace, grew up a QPR fan, yeah? Yep. The episode nine was Jamie Mackey, played more games for QPR than anybody else, and our guest today yep. is also a Queen's Park Rangers supporter. But we're not going to hold that against anybody, because I, as, as you, you know, Paul, our listeners may not know, I did start off as a football fan in 1975 as a QPR fan for two seasons, as you know. And then I moved. I know you're supposed, supposed to move teams. 1977 moved across southwest London and been there since. So I do have a link to the QPR, and I do understand, but we do have a great guest. So I think we should bring well, on. Just to say as well, we're doing this by video as well. So we're not going to do, it's going to work by video, but we did have a video the first time. Yes. So I apologise for the way I look like a 1960s music producer, which leads us <laughs> on to our guest. He's not a 1960s music producer. What a segue that was. That's brilliant, Paul. Thank you. Uh, so, um, listeners, please give a huge welcome to acclaimed music producer, Stephen Street. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you um, giving up time from other projects, other far more important projects to talk to us. Um, but yes, you're a QPR fan. So, how did that come about? That's the question I always ask people. Whatever team they support, I ask them how they ended up supporting that team. Well, it came about, um, I was born in um, in Hackney, so I grew up in kind of the east end of London initially and then the Essex borders. So when I was a young boy, um, Tottenham was my team. Because I, I lived out in a place called Woodford, Buckers Hill, out that direction. So oh. it's kind of... Um, but I didn't really go uh, to any football matches as a kid. We didn't really have the money, to be honest with you. So, I, I, And it was quite a schlep from where we lived in the suburbs up to, to Tottenham. So I didn't really go. I was one of those kids who just, who just used to look out for a team, as it were. And then uh, when I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s, I, I, I was living over more in West London. I met my girlfriend, who, was, who became my wife, and... Uh, she lived in the kind of Kilburn area. So our first flat we managed to get together was actually in Fulham, believe it or not. And and um, and I, I got a job, uh, fortunately, at Island Records. And Island Records is based in Hammersmith. Yeah. And there was a guy there, a friend who became a friend of mine, and he started taking me along to the occasional QPR match. Uh, this would be like kind of about mid-80s, I guess. And I used to go occasionally, and and it just kind of built up slowly from there, really. So, um, so you know, QPR, QPR became my local team, uh, living in Fulham and working in Hammersmith. 
and uh, started going along and then I finally kind of caved in and, uh, and bought myself a season ticket and then promptly that season we got relegated in the Premiership. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I kind What's of stopped with it. I thought, right, no, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to, you know, because I was actually really getting into it uh, by this point. I was actually starting to go every, you know, well, having had a season ticket, I started going every week. And... Um, and I kind of felt like it's back to the wall time. So I actually bonded quite strongly with, with QPR through that time when we first got relegated. Uh, so I wasn't a glory hunter by any means. I kind of, you know, it was, uh, well, I remember going down to League Two as well, you know. <laughs> um, well, League One, rather, I should say, you know, kind of below the championship. So, um, yeah, it was tough, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm blue and white through and through now. Good. Well, it's a, it's a nice thing because I did defect. I, I, I know Paul holds me in little regard because I defected in 1977. But and because my dad wouldn't take me to Loftus Road because of the violence, and he didn't want me to be, you know. We, I lived in Cheam at the time, not a particularly violent place. Um, and then so he said, "Well, I'm not going to take you to QPR. Well, one day I'll go to a match." And then August 77, he said, "Right, do you want to go to a football match with me?" So I yeah, went with him, went to Wimbledon, and it was Dave Clement's testimonial game. So it was against QPR. So I walked into the ground as a QPR fan and walked out as a Wimbledon fan. So that was my pivotal moment. That was my sliding doors moment. But um, let's we'll talk about that's, that. To, to be, to be, to be yeah. fair, though, Kevin, that's, that's the worst kind of glory hunting I've ever heard of. Swapping the 76 QPR team yeah. and aftermath of that to uh, Wimbledon. But fair play to you. Yes. And um, you've stuck with Wimbledon ever since. And I won't say to Mickey because you're a good man and you're a proper supporter. And Steve, <laughs> that's a great story, by the way. I love that. Uh, you know, you didn't you didn't leave in the because he actually won that game three 0 against West Ham. Only QPR could get relegated by winning the last. Yeah, you know, I remember we won. Was it three 0 We won or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We still went down. I just remember sitting there, kind of thinking, "Oh my god!" You know, it was a man new match to set us down. If you remember when Cantona scored on on the, the match that play was played on the Saturday, and he scored on the Tuesday, and then referee blew his whistle. Now the referee played about ten minutes at it on time. It was Fergie time before it was legal. Yeah. And um, that, that 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 was a game I think. As long as on the other fourteen that we lost, the set is down. But yeah, that was that was a time. But the, after that wasn't wasn't much fun and much cup. But there was something that was very special built up at QPR in the end days, wasn't it? It was kind of a it was us against the world, and it wasn't yeah. about the glory. It was about going down for the crack. We didn't know who was playing because we had no money, so it was even we could afford to play. It was yeah. it was a, it was the best time to be a QPR fan after the worst times, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's part of being a football fan, isn't it? If you just get, if you're if you're twenty years old and a Man City fan, you've only known them being winning cups and winning leagues and having billions of pounds. If you're forty, you remember them being in League One, losing away at Macclesfield. So I think you've got if you're let's say a proper football fan, but if you're of a certain age, then you're kind of you you should have seen your team go up and down. I've seen my team playing sort of fourteen different divisions, and it's it's crazy. Nobody else, you know, for, and yeah. no. Supporters that no other club has seen their team do that. Um, it's just, it's also you start you start off in the top division and worked your way down. Then well, you start off done worked your way up, worked your way down, and then worked yeah. your way up again. That's quite yeah. a story. Yeah, worked my way up, I fell down the ladder, sort of five five levels further down than we started, and then back up again. It's just, it's it's just bonkers. But let's talk briefly. One of the it's a football podcast up to a point, as we say in our logo. But um, Paul and Arty share a love of music as well which is obviously why you know why we've got you on and I if hopefully you're familiar with, with Stephen's work Stephen has produced um Morrissey the Smiths 
uh, Kaiser Chiefs, Blur, Cranberries, Cortinas, uh, the Triffids. I've got that album. Shed Seven. And the list goes on. But I have actually worked out this morning that I own 22 albums that Stephen's produced, which is it does sound a bit of fanboyish, but it's a fact. But I was going to show you. So this is like a test, Stephen. This is, I think, the most obscure album you've worked on. If I show you the cover of this record, it's going to be, it's going to be back to front. This is why I've got the video on. It's going to be back to front. But can you recognise this album that you produced in 1999? Yeah, Uberman. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Great album. I love that record. I haven't played it for a long time. It's going to be my recommended album of the day, my, my football podcast tomorrow. Yeah, but, nice. um, so can we talk music then? So uh, do you find it difficult working with musicians who don't like football as a f- football fan? Or can you just put it aside? Because I find talking to people who like cricket but not football, fine. But if I'm talking to someone who doesn't like sport at all, I find it really hard to know what they're talking about because it's such a common thing. So obviously with music, you've got a lot of connections with music and football. A lot of footballers want to be musicians and vice versa. So how does it work? If someone working with someone like Morrissey, or I can't imagine is a Stockport supporter, but he might be. No, I mean, most people don't have interest in football at all. And then there was that time when suddenly he started wearing a West Ham um, shirt. And sometimes he wore a QPR shirt, I think, at one point. I think it must have been when he, around the time he befriended Gallon, uh, Kevin Gallon. But um, to be honest with you, Kevin, no. I mean, often I can tell straight away working with some musicians that their interest purely is on music and it's not, they're not into football whatsoever. I mean, as, as I say, at the time when I was working with Morrissey, that was definitely the case. Um, I've worked with Chrissy Hind recently and back in the 90s she obviously doesn't like no, <laughs> so no, she no. doesn't like sport uh, well football anyway rather so it doesn't really come up to be honest with you no uh, I can't judge musicians on whether they, they like football or not at all and whether they be can, I can be friendly with them um, I mean Graham Coxon from Blur doesn't show any, any, any interest in football <clears throat> whatsoever you know whereas Damon does and, you know, uh, does he? Is he? Is he? Because I was heard. Oh, of course, he supports that other blue team, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Much to my disgust. I always remember him and Bill Daniels coming into into the studio um, uh, um, and giving it plenty of that. You know, the kind of <laughs> this is back in the nineties, uh, so Chelsea were riding quite high at the time, actually, if I remember rightly. Um, and uh, we were working in a studio in Fulham called, um, it was called Maison Rouge. And it was literally just around the, it was between Fulham Broadway Tube Station and Chelsea Football Ground. So at this point, we were working in the studio. And I remember Damon going off to a, a, an evening game and coming back with Bill Daniels and kind of getting it for that. And uh, <laughs> I certainly laid it, I kind of I certainly made it quite clear that I was a QPR. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're quite surprised how uh, how strongly I express my views, but there you go. Do they, 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 do they hit us as much as we hit them, Stephen? I don't. Oh, just... I, um, I don't think Chelsea. Re- it's funny, isn't it? Because when we go to Chelsea, it's a real big deal for us, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, think, um, I think for them now, they're so kind of worried about you know their their their, their kind of um, rivalry with the other big London Premiership clubs that so they don't really think about us much anymore. I don't think so. I think they're quite taken aback about how how um, verbal and how loud the support is when QPR does go to Stamford Bridge. But I remember when they played his, um, the 1-0 game, the Anton Ferdinand game, shall we say, that their players were terrified um, of the QPR fans because it was 
18 years of built-up frustration to have a go at them. And yeah. um, that, was, that was quite something that day. Um, people were half and half scarfs on and everything. It was just, that was returned to the Premiership and realised what the Premiership was like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, needless to say, I, but I, I know I, I do feel that they that they, they they're not as concerned about us as we are uh, about them, and I can understand why. You know, looking at the history that we've, that we've both endured over the last twenty years or so, that's the thing about rivalries, isn't it? Where when you discover that the team that you don't have much um, like for have no interest in you whatsoever, it's kind of <laughs> isn't it? And only yesterday I had a discussion on um, Instagram with a supporter of a, well, a, a team based in Buckinghamshire that shouldn't be based in Buckinghamshire um, about the history of their club. And someone said, oh, we're a new club. Uh, give us time. Give us time for what? Or give us time to succeed. Oh, Jesus, anyway, so I'm not going to get involved in talking about that club. But he, 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 he just didn't get the rivalry or how I would feel anything towards his club because he saw it as a completely different team. He said, oh, my God, okay. So, because I don't know if you've seen this, on Instagram, the EFL every day post a, a, a little tribute to every club in the Football League. And they put a picture of, of a club celebrating. So, I think yesterday was Millwall. They had a picture from um, their promotion win at Wembley. And they showed that other team winning the EFL trophy, I think it was. And the amount of abuse that that post got from fans of other clubs with no connection with them at all. And there's it, it from Exeter, Plymouth, there's a couple of QPR, Salford. There was a Grimsby fan just saying, "Why are you putting this up? This, this club shouldn't exist." And they, they fans don't get it. But when you when you talk to them and they don't get the rivalry that you think they have, it's really deflating feeling because you can't take it anywhere. It's kind of weird. But see, I grew up in Belfast, where you played on Linfield, and you knew that was a rivalry because the bricks had your your name on it. <laughs> um, and um, you kind of so the first Chelsea QPR game I, I went to, I thought was it. Not in the same intense. As I said, it wasn't really intense as it was back home over here anyway. And then it built over the years. Um, when we beat them 6-0, they certainly knew who we were. And then we had the, the sign of them for a few years and, and, and battered them regularly. And um, I guess money changes everything. And in the same way that money changed us, we got really good at twice. That teaches you to get involved in money. I'm yeah, I mean, um, yeah, but, uh, I think at QPR, it's obviously just been a crazy. I mean, some of the luck we've had as well over the last kind of couple of decades has been incredible. I mean, you know, even down to you know players dying and so on. It's 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 um, it's quite. It's been quite a crazy time to uh, have been a QPR supporter, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I, I do, as Kevin alluded to earlier on. I actually like the idea of 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 going through the different divisions and, 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 you know, having seasons where everything's great and seasons where it's desperate because it makes it more interesting. I think when these, you've got these clubs who think it's their God's given right to be in the top four of the premiership every kind of season. And if they don't, they start panicking like crazy. And I was like, get real, you know, and actually I can't believe these premiership uh, supporters who, who think that life outside the premiership is, is awful. I mean, I actually think the championship is bloody entertaining as a Mm. I really enjoy it, you know. I totally agree. And the quality of the football in the championship now is pretty damn good. It really is. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think these people should kind of get their heads out of their kind of uh, out of their asses sometimes and, and, and realise that, that there is some great football to be had outside the Premiership. But it, it's it's it doesn't exist. Though. They just don't think it exists. We Paul and no. I did a show on Talksport with a, a Chelsea fan a while ago. Um, it didn't go well. 
He knew his stuff. Okay, about Chelsea, he knew his stuff. But he didn't know anything about any other club. He didn't know what divisions teams were in. We talked about one team where I think Chelsea had played them 20 years ago. He'd never heard of them. How can you be a football fan and a football broadcaster and you haven't heard of a team that's in League One? How is that feasible? But yeah. people don't really care. They don't, I still get things from people sort of mocking my team for being a non-league club. You know, well, that was nine years ago. So we've been a league club for nine years now. Have you not worked this out? It's extraordinary. But I guess people just have their... You get people who are football fans and you get people who support their team. And it's those that I struggle with who just know about Leeds or just know about West Brom. Sorry to pick those teams, but they don't but get, just, it, there have been any, any interest whatsoever in, in, in anything lower down than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I if you've watched the, uh, the Sunderland Till I Die TV series, oh, yeah. uh, I've been watching those. And, you know, and I, re- I really felt empathy. You know, yeah. You know, I really did. It kind, of, it, it kind of struck me a little bit like the four-year plan thing. You know, perhaps not quite <laughs> as crazy, but... You know, you, I really did feel, as a football fan, first and foremost, I felt a lot of, um, uh, I, I, was, I found myself really rooting for them in the end. You know, I really wanted them to succeed and so on. I never really cared about something at all until I saw the, um, this, you know, this documentary. But it, mm. it kind of does kind of show you that, you know, within every, every club there are some real decades and there's some real great people too that are really trying to do the best they possibly can. And behind those clubs are great people who support them. You know, <coughs> yeah. Who... Um, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate Chelsea supporters. I don't, you know, I, I like a bit of banter and a little bit of making a noise when you go to the ground. But do I really truly hate them? Of course I don't, you know. And and um, and I do love the banter, as I said. I do like that kind of sense of like, you know, giving it some large when you get there, and you know, and chewing your team when I'm trying to become the twelfth man. But as far as hating other, other teams, no, I don't. I don't really agree with it personally. Have a list. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> I have a list. Oh, I've got the way done it. Seven teams you hate in order, but you'll be watching a documentary. You just see how much that ninety minutes on a Saturday means to those people. It means to people, yeah, it's a huge amount. Uh, again, what we've been discussing before is that our guest on the on our next show on, on show on uh, um, episode eleven um, is a mental health advocate and a football broadcaster, and I think that's what people have struggled with in the last six, seven, or eight weeks now of not having football to watch. It's, it's in the summer. You know, it's not going to be football. If you don't sport, if you sport, you know, Northern Ireland, chances are you're not going to be in the Euros. Sorry, Paul. So it's not, it's not going to mean that much to you anyway. So once the season finishes, I'll probably... no ticket, Kevin. Sorry, in League in League One, the season would have finished on Sunday, right? So I think for most of us, think okay, well, the season would be over anyway. So for Monday, maybe it's going to be easier than not having any football to watch because we wouldn't have any anyway. But this last eight weeks, I think as as, as a mental health thing and as and as a how much it means to people to go to football. And it's, it's the routine and something to look forward to more than the result. And that's what I think people are struggling with at the moment. Yeah. Do you agree? I miss, I miss it greatly. Yeah, I miss mean, a great release, isn't it? That, yeah. that feeling you get. I mean, I don't know about you, but that feeling I get when the, when the two teams walk out on the pitch, you know, with the mascots next uh-huh. to them. And especially um, if you've had a, a run of bad games, you really want this one to be the one where you start getting some points back on the board. You know, it kind of, it, it means something. It means a lot. I mean, when the goal goes in or, or, or you know, if it's a, a, a cracking tackle right in front of you, you know, <coughs> uh, it, you, know it make, you get a real sense of adrenaline and, 
at, at such a left. I mean, I, for me personally, you know, I go with my wife and my two sons who are growing up now and don't look at me anymore. So for me, it's a chance yeah. to meet them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a real family thing. Um, and, and that's a very straightforward kind of thing that I'm missing, you know, uh, as far as sharing those moments with them. So... Yeah, I can understand, uh, and especially for people that perhaps haven't got a lot in life, but they, one thing they have got is the love of football and supporting yeah. the team. I can really truly believe that that's one of the things that's really hurting people at the moment. Yeah, no, it is. Plus, of course, you go with someone else's wife, don't you? What? Don't you go to games with somebody else's wife? Who's that? Your friend who you go with. No, no, no she's not married. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sort of, but, but again, you, that's a, it's a routine thing. You you have. I thought, so I, well, I go I go with I go with there's there's myself, Clive at times, there's Cindy, there's Alan, there's there's a whole group of us just to make sure that I'm not Mr. Loverman. No, 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 I wasn't. Um, saying that you, that your own wife doesn't know about this. I know she does know about this. I'm just saying that you've got your routine. So Stephen's got his routine of going with his wife and his kids, and it's a social thing as much as the. As yeah, a, my routine. My routine is brilliant because mine basically is. How much of the first half I normally miss, run up the stairs, and then trying to get a drink at half time in South Africa Road, which is something that the critter factor couldn't actually make up. Um, and, and you, you do miss it. Honestly, Robert, mate, you should try honestly, Robert, it's even worse. I, hear, I, I hear, I hear it's um, you can order your food while you go to the toilet, I've heard, basically. Um, it, it's, it's not, but it, it is, you do miss it because it's only, you know, I parked down a I've seen Stephen drive down a few times as well, down near the Crown Scepter and stuff, in the park around that way, the whole walk up to the grounds, the <clears> going <throat> into the ground, meeting the people yeah. in the pubs. It's all the socialisation that goes with it. And and with especially with QPR, the, the, the fact that the London overspill means that so many people have moved away from the area, it's probably yeah. a last chance. <clears> I guess to meet up with your sons and meet up with families and, and they get back into the area. And I think that affects people. And also, and this sounds really selfish, and, and this is a serious thing. I mean, my mum got covered for goodness sake, so I know how serious it is, but it's kind of, we were just getting good. <laughs> That's just like, we went through all those weeks of like... I know, we were on a good run, weren't we? Six oh. games without a, yeah. without a loss. And, you know, I was getting really, beginning to get a little bit excited again, because we were playing some nice football. I mean, you know, um, I, you know, obviously, round about New Year itself. Do you remember those two results we scored, like oh. eleven goals in two games or something? Yeah. I was getting really excited, and obviously, then we went on a terrible run in January. It was just bloody awful. But then we suddenly found up, found our form again. And and one of the things that you can't deny, actually, this season is that it has been quite entertaining watching QPR. Yeah, you know, it has been. Um, you know, I mean, it's been frustrating as well because obviously, you know, we get a good run and then suddenly go on a bad one again. But it has been very entertaining, and and we really have got some good players playing for us at the moment as well. I think so. You know, it's been it's such a shame that suddenly this kind of gate is closed and we've not been able to kind of keep the momentum going that we gathered in in February. Yeah, you go. But that's um, the so we, we, we do have other things, don't we? We need to need to add things. So it's not just Stephen. We do have an anecdote from Paul Hutton. We, well, it's a good time to stop that now, and we'll add Paul Hutton's anecdote in. So uh, again, if you've not listened to the show before, uh, my friend Paul Hutton, ex uh, Soccer Saturday reporter, one of the early uh, presenters on um, on Capital Gold Sport, um, spent many years in football journalism, and has um, a number of anecdotes that he shared with us. Um, some of which we can't. For legal reasons, we're not allowed to broadcast. We're still amusing. So, Stephen, we've got 24 anecdotes. We've used up nine so far. Would you like to pick a number between 1 and 24? If it's not been used up, then we'll, we'll play that anecdote randomly. 
13. 13 hasn't gone. So this is Paul Hutton's random anecdote number 13. I mentioned before about the fact that I very nearly interviewed The Courier once at Wickham. Um, there was another it- a time where, as the reporter, when you worked for Sky, this is in the days before you could just blitz everything over the internet, you had to, to send over the videotapes back to a point. So Sky could either pay the local ITV company um, so for, to get the stuff sent back. So all the, all the goals that you see on Goals Express on a Saturday afternoon on Sky Sports, that was always just... The reason that they'd bring you the goals in was when they'd finally got the tape back to Sky Central or somehow the goals back. So any games you covered in London, there'd be a motorcycle courier that you would make sure that as the reporter, your job was to hand it to the uh, courier and he would then whiz it across London. So I was at uh, Crystal Palace once. And it might have been a Crystal Palace game, it might have been a Wimbledon game, because it was, I was pretty much living there for a while. I did, you know, they were obviously doing home and away each, each week, and I was often... The reporter that went. You wouldn't see many team. wins for either side, would you? Uh, not particularly. I remember one particularly good two-two draw between the two sides when Trevor Francis was uh, was manager of Palace. But that's a different matter. But yeah, I, I, um, I, I was there. You would have remembered yeah, that one. And all the Palace fans were in a sort of a one set of um, yeah. seats on the far side yeah, from, uh, from the tunnel. Um, anyway, so we were. I was waiting, and waiting, and waiting for the for the courier. And then I, th- what happened was you were given the phone number. The courier was given your phone number. You weren't given the courier's phone number. So I was powerless. And I was thinking, I'm going to have to go to Isleworth myself with this tape in a minute. This is ridiculous. When I then picked up, my phone rang. And I answered, hello. Where are you? Oh, almost Delia Smith. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I'm the courier. Where are you? And I said, well, I'm waiting at Selhurst Park. And he went, well, I'm waiting at Selhurst Park as well. I said, well, where? He said, by the gates and the bandstand. <laughs> I, I'm sorry? <laughs> and, and after a couple of minutes of discussion, I realised he wasn't yeah. at Selhurst Park. He was at the park, park at Selhurst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, but I'm at Selhurst Park. Well, I'm not going there. There's a football match on. It'll be chaotic. <laughs> At that point, I realised there were other people that didn't necessarily know as much about where, where they were supposed to go as others. So, so that, that did stick in my mind. My hour spent standing in the cold at Selhurst Park while someone else was waiting for me, getting more and more cross at a park in Selhurst. Crystal Palace do not play in a park in Selhurst. No, I mean, I've stood in Crystal Pal- in Selhurst Park for nine years getting cold and bored, so yeah. I, I totally understand yeah. that yeah. feeling at once. You're right, Steve. Nice new windows you got there. Where'd you get them from? Seasonmaster.com. Seasonmaster.com. That's right, Seasonmaster.com. That's a great price. Did a fantastic job. And when it comes to secondary glazing, they were my first choice. Was that Seasonmaster.com? That's right, Seasonmaster.com. But, Mike, I've got a question for you. What's that, Steve? Why are you in my house? So that's Paul Hutton's... Anecdote number 13, um, and we'll move on now. So um, I was saying, Stephen was saying about keeping our game into a, into a good bit of form before the, uh, the stop in football. Now, what I've got, I think, is for me, if as a Wimbledon fan, obviously we are fourth and bottom. We would be in the relegation zone if it wasn't for Berry's 
um, demise. So luckily we were just about on, on the edge of safety. Five points clear of Tranmere. They've got a game in hand, blah, blah, blah. Tranmere to play. I don't think we're going to be playing. Anyway, I think that will be decided on points per games or voided or whatever. However, more important than that is we've got a new ground, which we should be moving into, should be moving into in September. Now it's been moved back to October for obvious reasons. But this will be the third time that my team have moved grounds without us knowing it's going to happen. Because, here's a good one. So when we left Plough Lane in 1991, didn't know know that game against Crystal Palace, we lost 3-0. We didn't know that was our last game at Plough Lane. When we left Sellers Park, the last time I left Sellers Park, (coughs) didn't know nobody going back. And now we've left Kings Meadow to go to our new ground, whenever that's going to be, whenever we actually get to see football again. And we've left that ground after a very, very poor nil-nil draw against Bolton Wanderers. So we've, we've never left a ground and celebrated leaving the ground, like Tottenham and West Ham did, the big parties and things. Yeah. Celebrate the end of your ground. So we've left a ground for the third time, not going back to it without realising it, which is kind of unlucky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a shame to leave, you know, to leave somewhere and not be able to say goodbye for <clears> a <throat> celebration. Is, is yeah. It's quite a sad, sad state of affairs. I always remember watching uh, West Ham's... Um, Leading Upton Park mm. you know, uh, and being kind of quiet, you know, I, I could understand the emotional kind of thing they were going through. Yeah, and uh, I, I found that quite a, a, a good spectacle to watch on TV. Actually, I quite, I, you know, I, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to feel about Loftus Road. I mean, I, you know, as Paul alluded to earlier on, you know, it's a ground built for the past. You know, trying to get any food or drink or just the general comfort that we have yeah. to or discomfort we have to suffer sitting in our seats especially while I am in Ellerslie Road um, it, it's antiquated it's got to be changed we have to move you know but do I really want to leave there no, a big part of me says no I don't want to you know I would love to be able to kind of you know add on an extra 5,000 seats in that within that you know ter- um, territory where we are at the moment you know within that stadium rather but Obviously, you know, I don't think it can happen. So, I mean, how do you feel, Paul, about that? I mean, do you, um, I, I, think we, I, feel, I think we have to move, but I don't want to move too far. I, I, listen, I agree with you. I think if the ideal scenario for me is if we can do lots of road up, um, increase the stadium, because we don't need 30,000. We don't need, I think we need 25, personally. 25 yeah, is good for us. If that's what I'm you know, alluding to, 25,000. Because you think about it, Kevin and, 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 and Stephen, we get um, a game against... League Cup game, it's going to look terrible. And one good thing about Lost Road is it's nice and tight and compact. Yeah. But we need to, if the face needs, the place needs an upgrade, it needs a safety grade, um, widening corridors. And we also don't really have anywhere to drink at Stroud as well. So there's lots of things. I don't really want us to move because a lot of my best memories are there, you know, when I first came over from Belfast, going to your first game, and then you've got, um, I found out I was going to be a dad at Lost Road. And we lost to Sheffield United, and everyone was going to kill me in the loft because I kept smiling. Um, and then my daughter had her first game at six months. Um, you know, there's, there's things like that that you can take away. And then when you move, you lose that. And I kind of look at West Ham, and the West Ham fans I know absolutely detest the new stadium. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, would, they would go back tomorrow when a heartbeat. So you've got to get it right. For the life of me, I can't understand how Fulham can upgrade their ground so much in the space that they've got. And we can't be a little bit. Um, clever how we would design ours, Stephen, because it must be 
aspects of the, the when the loft is so much room between the gate and the front bit, there's going to be ways around that we can change it. Like not like Tottenham come and say they brought everything else around them in the houses. I just think we need to have an honest debate with the club. Can we do anything with Loftus Road at all? And if we can't, what next? Because the fear is with London prices and developments, you're always going to even before we farm, we can't even get a training ground because of the residents are so up in arms against it. And that's the trouble is the residents will always fight you tooth and nail on these places. So. If we were to get a new ground, I reckon it could be somewhere along the A40. I think that for Christie's ideal, I think it's brilliant, but I can't see it happening because of all the infrastructure around it. So that's a sad bit. And as you know, if you don't bring the money in and you don't get the income, then you can't compete. And I'm quite happy not to compete with the big boys. But I want to be a good championship side, which is what I think QPR really is. I mean, I know that the board will talk about going up and being a premiership club, but not really infrastructure-wise, training ground-wise. And them seasons in the Premier League killed us as fans for bringing the new fans because you're losing game after game after game. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to go down our own merit and keep the philosophy that we had in the 80s of bringing our own players through. Um, but I love Loftus Road. I mean, uh, Kevin, you know, I know you did a bad thing when you left us, but it, it, and I'm sure Wimbledon and Plurlian at night time was... But there's something so special about especially when Adele was playing, Steve. I don't know if you thought those nighttime games with that genius on the pitch. Oh, I thought it was Adele the singer. I, I, I remember Adele playing for QPR. Kevin, it's a good job. It's, it's a good job you, you're not on the stage. Um, and you know what I mean, Steve? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sorry, yes. I've never got anywhere near a stage in case of cleaner. But yeah, that, that's the point. Is night games and watching that that team, that Warnock team, was was amazing. And I love night games and off the road. I don't know what you think, Steve, but they are incredibly yeah. special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kevin, where is it you're moving to now then? Uh, uh, well, strange enough, this is, this is also controversial. So our old ground at Plough Lane is now blocks of flats, named after former Wimbledon players. So we now have, it's, it's making good progress on what was Wimbledon Greyhound Stadium, which was, again, so the Greyhound people and the stock car people were very upset that we kicked, voted commas, kicked them out. But yeah. the problem with that stadium was, no one, hardly anyone was going. The Greyhounds, you're getting sort of 40 people, the stock cars and banger racing, people weren't going. The stadium was so dangerous in terms of asbestos that they only opened like one block of it anyway. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's it's you know we've 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 been we've had our club taken away and people saying oh you've done the same thing. I don't think it is. You look at it politically, it's not the same thing at all. So we've got that stadium. <coughs> so the original plans, if you ever look at this, <laughs> the plans, uh, it looks fantastic, but it's not going to look like that at all. You've got one lovely new stand, which is about three quarters the length of the pitch. Um, and then will be three temporary stands, kind of like Bournemouth's two at either end. Um, but that's originally going to hold 9,400, something like that. And people are saying, oh, why don't we have a 20,000 stadium? Well, A, because it costs about three or four times as much, number yeah. one. B, we've had to raise the money ourselves to finish it anyway. We've raised five and a half million pounds from the fans to finish the ground off. And we don't need it. <laughs> Our average great gate is 4,800, which is about 600 of those away fans. So let's say we've got a four and a half thousand home fans why do we need a 20,000 seat stadium madness 9,000 is going to be a struggle but again the problem we've got now of course is if football does come back let's say football comes back in October the first few games or maybe the first six months of the season will be behind closed doors it'll be so disappointing that the players building up to walk it out new stadium no one there I mean, it's, it's you know it's horrific but <clears throat> the chances are we aren't going to be we aren't going to be going to football matches out the way into next year. I, I think what you're going to find so is it's so hard to comprehend. I, I, I keep forgetting it. I keep thinking, you know, I've, I've got this kind of inbuilt hope that 
come, come kind of September, October, we'll be, we'll be allowed back in again to watch matches. But as you quite rightly said there, you know, it looks like more and more likely that that's not going to happen. And I, I still find it very hard to accept. Yeah. It's such a part of, a part of what we all do, isn't it? That's why yeah. we're talking about this. It's, it's what I just... I just wonder, Kevin and Stephen, if they'll play the games at the training grounds because there's probably no real need to play them at the stadiums. And most training grounds have an exact pitch size of the stadiums that I've seen play at. So <laughs> I, I'd imagine to keep fans from turning up at grounds and so forth, it'll probably be played behind closed doors at training grounds, which is going to be uh, it's going to be such a shame because the, the, the thing about going to football is the whole experience. I don't think you can get that with a laptop, but we'll have to wait and see. But I guess safety means everything. But yeah, it's going to be weird because certainly with us, and I'm sure it's the same with every team, it's, it's the atmosphere that, that spurs the team on. And you, you worry about hearing the players swearing and, and realise what they actually said on the pitch at the time. Oh my God, our defence really is that bad. They don't talk any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, but one thing, one thing will come out of this and they'll realise that football without supporters is nowhere near as entertaining on TV. Yes. Yeah. And mm. I think there's going to be a big reset. I think... I, I can't imagine the TV companies now. I mean, what we've seen over the last couple of decades is that every time there's a new TV deal, there's more and more money thrown at it. That's not going to happen anymore. This is going to be no. a reset. And I find it amazing that these, for instance, these Arsenal players couldn't even agree to a 12.5% drop in their salaries. I find that actually disgusting. When you go, you've got other people that are taking much bigger cuts and so on. And so I think it's going to have to be a real big reset. And I think a lot of contracts now that will be drawn up will be very much more performance related rather than just that's it, fill your boots, you know? Yeah. I wonder if it would go back to the, I wonder if it would go back to the old style of, um, you know, local clubs have local players and it stops the premiership clubs overreaching into areas like where we are. We, we've got Fulham, QPR, there's Brentford, there's Tottenham, there's Arsenal, there's... Yeah. Chelsea, all competing for the same group of players. And I think it's going to change that because clubs like us will have to survive, possibly without a transfer budget. And that we won't just be the only ones. If we all come out of this, the transfer market, as far as I can see, will be dead for a couple yeah. of seasons. Yeah. Um, and that might not be a bad thing. But yeah, I agree with you in the Arsenal thing. I mean, and I'm sure there's players at other clubs, but you just think they don't help themselves with the greed. And the, um, you know, £350,000 a week is a lot of money. I'm sure if they give some of that to the NHS or whatever, it would be greatly received. And it's a shame they haven't wised up. Well, some of them have, haven't they? Jordan Henderson started that sort of group to, to donate money. But you just think the, the, the argument, the counter argument I read, I think by, by Jermaine Genus, um, was that they, they don't have to do it. No, of course I don't have to do it. But if you earn, if you earn in a week, ten times the average yearly wage of a British person, you can afford not to be paid for a month or two. Surely, you don't need mm. one point four million pound a month. How? What? What? I mean, I know they don't get all that because of tax and other stuff, but it's extraordinary amounts of money in football. But you, you go down to into into League One, where the average weekly wage in League One is four point is four thousand two hundred. Uh, two hundred grand a year. Yeah. But you, you, like you, usually, you usually find, this is what I find out by talking to people in football, the big clubs normally pay the tax for mm. the players as well. It's, it's yeah, I, I think as Stephen says, it's going to be a massive reset on, on the greed. And that's no bad thing because I think it's spelled out of control for many years. I mean, as Stephen knows, we watched many a waste at QPR mm. on millions who, who were there for completely the wrong reasons. So I'd rather have local kids in there trying their best who might not be as good, but at least you know they're trying. And we can build them up and give them careers rather than give people the end of it. But um, what I was going to ask you, Stephen, um, 
You worked with Pete Dockley, didn't you, for a little while? Oh, yeah, I've made three albums with him, two with Baby Shambles and one with him as a solo artist. So, yeah, I've done quite a fair bit of work with Pete, yeah. No, I, I, I actually brought his fanzine when he did it at QPR because one of the pictures I took of the last game against Everton on the terrace, he put in his fanzine. And um, I never got him to sign it. That's probably my worst thing. So I might <clears> take it out for you one day, thought a new direction and get the sign it. But he is actually, whatever people think of him, he is actually a massive Rangers fan, isn't he? And he actually yeah. understands football. Is he one of the few, or have you come across quite a few music fans in the business? Uh, so I think, well, Pete definitely, as you say, is one. Um, just trying to think. Johnny Marr is a big City fan, Man City fan. Although at yeah. the time when I was working with him, you know, back in the 80s, he, he didn't really express much interest in it. I, mean, I think I think perhaps in the 80s, there was a tendency, and I was one of those people who was so wrapped up, you know, as a young person in music that didn't really want to associate too much with football, especially as the football in the 80s was quite violent. Do you remember? The, the, oh, yeah. The, it, was, it was not a really, it wasn't a family thing, was it? No, I have the scars. <laughs> no. So, I can remember Johnny not really expressing much interest then, but I know that he is quite a big City fan. I think he, I think he's got a season ticket. Uh, I think Liam from the uh, Cortinas is a big Man United fan. Uh, uh, of course. Um, I'm just trying to think of where the other kind of fans are. Uh, Kaisers, they're huge Leeds fans. So no one's uh, perfect. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, there's quite yeah, quite a lot of people that I know, you know, I've met over the years are, are football fans, but but not exclusively. You know, there are some who just just focus on music and don't give a damn about football at all. I think I'm so right. They, uh, the bass player on Shed Seven is a York City fan. Could be, yeah. I think they were York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Conference North. You can still go if you're you know you're in Shed Seven. You're going now Conference North. I I, 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 like, I like that. But the um the funny thing is that um, Robert Plant has got his own suite at Wolves. I know that much. Yeah. I know he's a he's massive a Wolves fan. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you do get it, and it's quite nice. Cause I think what I've found from doing the QPR podcast and things like that, musicians and comedians and people like yourself love talking about football as well as their own work, which is brilliant. And it's, it really does break down the boundaries of a, if you meet someone and you're hanging out in the studio, then you know you're saying these things, and football gives you a common denominator. Yeah, yeah so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but can I ask you a, a music question? Sorry, Stephen. I, I know we've probably asked this before in the QPR, but how did you how, how did the Smiths come about for you? Because that was probably your, your major breakthrough, wasn't it? Yeah, that's my first kind of big break. Um, I was working at Island Records, as I mentioned earlier. And I was working as an in-house engineer. Um, Island Records is, was in Hammersmith, and they had a big, big house that were based in, and there was a basement studio, and that's where I was working. Uh, and at the time they were looking to, uh, although it was used most of the time for in-house, you know, Island Records acts, um, mm. they, were, they were spending some money on a new desk room and I think they needed to get some extra funds in. So they started making the studio available weekends for clients outside of Ireland. And uh, the studio was booked by Rough Trade for the Smiths to come in and do a, a session. So they came in and John Porter was still producing them. Uh, and the session they came in, the, the track that I, I did two songs of them that weekend, I three, but definitely the A side, the track that was kind of the single was uh, Heaven Knows and Miserable Now. So that's like the first track that I recorded with them. I've heard of that. <laughs> it's, it's quite a finish. Beautiful song. So that was it really. And, and in my scene, Johnny kind of took my name and number, as it were, because they were kind of, I think they were impressed with, I was, I, you know, I went out of my way to be as 
as um, as helpful as I possibly could. Um, and I think they liked the fact that, I, that I'd heard of them. I mean, this charming man had been in the charts, so it was quite hard not to know what they were. You know, I was really kind of excited to work with them. So, and I think that kind of enthusiasm kind of, uh, kind of showed. And they took, as I say, they took my name and number and then asked me to work with them when they did the next album, which was Meet His Murder. And the other thing I was going to ask you, my favourite Smith song is a song called Sleep. Um, and I've got this image of that being recorded in just like maybe the middle of the night sometime or just a, as if someone just it started to play someone. One sunny afternoon, um, we were working at Rack Studios uh, in um, St. John's Wood. Uh, this is when we were doing uh, the session. That session was for Big Mouth Strikes Again. And Johnny had this idea for this piano track. He's not really a piano player, Johnny, but he sat down at the piano and recorded this beautiful little piece of music. And uh, mostly went in, did his vocal. Um, I found a BBC sound effects record with some wind and, and um, kind of noises like that on it. And it all fell together really quickly. And even, even when, I think at the end of the sleep, there's a little kind of music box kind of playing for old acquaintances. Yeah. And even when we played that, it actually was in key with the track. It, it just seemed to really fit everything. It just it all seemed to fall into place, you know. So uh, yeah, it was one of those tracks that came together very quickly. Yeah. There's a story. I, 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 I like apocryphal stories. I've asked on my. I, I do another two other, two other podcasts. I was like, there's a big story that you've heard, you've heard about an artist or a singer or a footballer. I was not to get to the bottom of it. So I don't want to go too, you know, too far into your life getting this wrong. Is there is a story about you bringing Johnny Mars moped? into a recording session and recording yeah. a, the engine. Is that true? And what album was that? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Johnny Marr. It, it was Graham Coxon, uh, and we recorded his motorbike. It was for the Kaiser Chiefs' uh, first album. Graham Coxon's back called Saturday Night. And it was like, revving, and we just took a microphone kind of through the window and just recorded it in the street. We didn't bring his bike in. Oh, okay. So, yes, yeah, so half, half of it's right, half of it's wrong. I like how those stories kind of get... So the next car player's bike, but not, not, not Johnny, but it was Graham. Yeah. Graham Coxon's bike. Okay. So my, I used to work with someone who used to go out with John, Graham Coxon's girlfriend when she was in Huggy Bear. Remember Huggy Bear? Yes, I do. Yeah. Oh, and they were on Ouija records, weren't they? Of course, a, a record label named after its own postcode. Yeah, early 90s, that would have been. Yeah. It was. That was 1992? 1993? Yeah. <clears throat> Remember that well, name? Huggy yeah. Bear appeared on the tube somehow. Anyway. Um, awful. I just couldn't stand that, man. I'll be honest. Now, did you... If you produced a feeder album, which one was it? Uh, I didn't do a feeder album. I did, uh, they, they did like, um, I think it was kind of like a greatest hits type thing. I wanted some new tracks to go on it. So I think I did about two or three tracks with, with them. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, and, uh, um, so yeah, it was, it was just a few tracks. The, um, go back to the Smiths. Sorry, that's my era. Um, have you stayed in touch with Johnny uh, and, and some of the other guys? Uh, I'm not really in touch with them uh, directly. Um, um, you know, um, I mean, I, I follow Johnny on the, on, on Instagram and, and, and Twitter. Uh, Mike Joyce and I have, have mentioned each other in Twitter, you know, things like that. Um, uh, Johnny actually bumped into my son. My son James works at Absolute Radio, and Absolute Radio did something last year. My son James said to Johnny, oh, Johnny, I'm Stephen's son, and... <clears throat> And Johnny was very friendly with him and very sweet to him, and very you no. Know, so I don't. There's, there's no acrimony there, but at the same time, I think it's a bit awkward because when the Smiths broke up, I, not that one is taking sides, but because I worked with Morrissey, I was you know 
yeah. thing by Johnny to be in the Martin <clears throat> camp. So it kind of created a little bit of a kind of distance, I suppose, you know. But there's no real big problem between me and Johnny. And I got, but the last time I saw him was actually when we were remastering all the Smith's back catalogue. And that was about six, seven years ago now, I think. Might be even be more. But uh, that's when I last saw him. Don't suppose, you see, don't suppose you've seen Morrissey recently, have you? No, no I haven't seen him for ooh, a couple of years. More, more than that now. Um, no, I can't, I'm, I'm in and out of Morrissey's life. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, get, I, think, I get a postcard or an email or something and then I think, OK, he's making contact and then that's it. Years and years go by without any contact again. So. I remember, I remember the, the, the funny thing he did on Twitter was when um, his book came out and, of course, I don't think anyone got out of that book alive. Um, and then you just took yourself to see a Smith's tribute back, which I think was the best thing or way of dealing with what um, more was saying in this You're like, I'm off the Smith's tribute band today. Do you remember that? Yeah, there's a good Smith's tribute band I like called the Smiths. The Smiths were fantastic, like, you know, the original, the, the, the Smiths, you know. Yeah. And, and, and there was so, it was just so, those songs played live, they, they take on a life of their own, they, they you know. Um, and the fact that you no, know, I mean, I know Morrissey does have his band, you know, um, play them, and Johnny plays a few Smith songs in his live set now. <clears throat> but for a lot of people, they're never going to see that band, you know, yeah. proper. So you know, it's kind of good. I think it's just a celebratory thing. Going along, having a few beers, and, and watching a band whose lead singer actually is a real kind of dead ringer for Morrissey, and um, oh. and they play these songs really well. They really do. <laughs> so. I just I enjoy going along and, and seeing the smile on people's faces listening to this back catalogue of fantastic songs being played live. Is that the Smiths with a Y? Because I've, I've seen yeah, I've they, seen them. Yeah, they, these, this band, uh, it's just playing this great back catalogue of Smith songs and also some Mercy solo stuff as well. And, and it just kind of flows through the crowd. You know, you see, you see everyone having great fun. Yeah. It's funny because when I first saw this band, you know, I suppose you'd call them a tribute band, they were doing it part-time. They all had day jobs and everything. And it's grown so much now. They've all, but it's wonderful. They've all managed to kind of give up their day jobs. Oh, really? They can be full-time musicians. Yeah, they tour wow. the world. They were playing Australia New Zealand doing all this shit. Great. And they, oh. just, they now just tour and tour and tour doing Smith stuff. Well, they... They would do. It wouldn't be for this bloody pandemic. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Different like that. I mean, I, yeah, for these guys. I mean, I don't know how they're going to make money now because they are one of these bands that just has to, you know, tour to make yeah. money. But they do really well, and um, so that's great and that's encouraging, isn't it? A, a thing like a tribute band could be do so well that actually they can just give up their day jobs and, and you know be professional my, musicians. My last Smith question, and I'm going to go back to football, but just what I've got you. I'm just can't imagine. Did you feel bad being stuck in the middle of that split? Because it wasn't a, a good split, was it? Or it didn't seem to be from the outside a good no, split. No, I didn't feel bad. bad. I, I felt sad. I mean, I, but I really thought that it was just going to be a little bit of a tiff and they would be back together within six months. I really did. I mean, mm. when we were making Strange Ways, here we come. While we were making that record, everything was absolutely fine. There was no 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 problem at all. The, the only thing that was going on really in the background was that there was a new manager that Morrissey didn't want to be the manager. So he basically got Johnny to get rid of him and Johnny didn't want to get rid of him. So that's what caused, that was the beginning of the troubles. Was that Johnny did not want to be, you know, having to take on the mantle of managing the band. He just wanted to be the guitar player and the co- you know, the songwriter in the band. He didn't want to have to take on all the bullshit of being, you know, like managerless again. And I think that's what led to it all. So, um, oh. 
Interesting. Interesting. I really thought yeah. that it might, you know, make up and be back together again, again, but then it didn't work out that way. It's supposed to be like trying to get that 2010 QPR side together again. You want it to happen so badly, but you just know it's never going to happen. <laughs> and we're just going to be looking at tributes ever since. <clears throat> I remember this rightly. Tell me if I've got this wrong, Stephen. I always get things wrong. As you know from listening to the podcast, it's my job. You're a qualified referee, aren't you? Or was it a coach? I no, no, I, did. I took, um, I've got it here, I've got my Football Association certificate. I did this back in 1998. All right, okay. It's, yeah. been, it's been split up now into smaller parts because I know a lot of, I was one of those dads who got into, you know, my son's playing football and I took over one of the sides and I thought, if I'm going to do this right, uh, I, I, I want to get, you know, I want to be, I want to be in a position I can say I know what I'm, you know, what I'm doing. It's not just my opinion. And uh, so this, it was called the FA Coaching Certificate course. Um, it was, it has now been split up into smaller components so more people can do it. Uh, yeah. So it can, because they, they want nearly all the dads now to have some kind of qualification. But back then it wasn't really required of you. But I wanted to do it properly. So I did this course. It was about four weeks, uh, certain, I think two evenings and one Saturday four weeks but then I had to go away and do six months coaching and get a logbook filled in and then we had to come back at the end of that and do uh, a Saturday and a Sunday uh, session in front of um, um, some coaches um, um, pruning you know and taking like doing a you know doing a particular subject whether it be defending or midfield play or you know whatever and do that to their satisfaction and it wasn't a given that you'd pass. I think out of the 22 people that took the course, I think only 12 people passed. So it was quite a good oh. thing. Oh. So I was quite proud of that. And, um, yeah, so that's what I did. I wasn't a referee. It was a, a coaching. And it was something. That's quite impressive, though. So do you sit there at the Ellsley? Sorry to non-QPR fans. Ellsley is a standard, is off since Africa road stand. If you don't know that, I'm not going to tell you. Um, and... Do you find yourself slipping into coach mode sometimes in the players? Well, we all do, don't we? I mean, we all think yeah. our coaches are watching football. <laughs> I think mean, me and everyone around me falls into that. Um, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, I don't You're know. probably I'm right. Not... <laughs> no, I mean, there's this, 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 you know, this kind of principles, isn't there? Uh, kind of this, the basics of play, obviously, that, you know, we can all kind of see that's right or wrong, you know. But... Um, but no, I try not to kind of think about it too heavy. About I just try and just I just try and support my team. I mean, we all know Paul, don't we? Sometimes you can see that the setup is wrong, and someone might be been playing a square peg in a round hole, and you can't work out why the hell they're doing that. But um, and we all know when a player is on a good run of performance, you know, uh, uh, levels, and you know, on a good run when they, when they've lost their confidence, you can see things like that. Um, but you know, we don't. One thing we you know we don't see, and they do, and the managers and the coaches do see, is their, their uh, attitude in training during the week, and that's the reason why they get picked at the weekend. And we don't see that, do we? You know, so no. Although I did see Adele outside a cheese bar at three o'clock in the morning in Edgware Road, and I reversed the van halfway down the road just to make doubly sure it was him, and it was. And it was like, what are you doing? You've got a game on tomorrow. What the hell are you doing? And it was just like the rest of the edge of the road probably thought I was insane. This floor van flying back about 30 miles an hour, going, go home, you've got a game. But he was, I mean, sorry, Kevin, about this, but is he the greatest player in your time at QPR, do you think, that you've seen? 
for ability. Say that again, Paul. Has Adele been the best player you've seen at QPR? Oh, um, I would say definitely. I mean, when you kind of remember all those little step-overs and drag-backs and things that he did in that time, it was so entertaining to watch. Um, I can imagine him being incredibly frustrating, though, to be a teammate with that. Really. Oh, God, I... But but he was entertaining, yeah. But, you know, we're having a bit of that at the moment with Eze. You know, at the moment, you know, really, I mean, it's been fascinating watching him. And I've really enjoyed, um, um, I'll say, you know, Sam Smith, Quite Smith, um, I always get his name mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll forgive you. Yeah, yeah. Do you bright or say Samuel? Bright or say Samuel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You always get confused. Um, he's. I've really enjoyed watching his performances this year as well. You know, I really have. So I just, I, I would love the transfer market to crash this summer and us not lose those two. I think that would be wonderful. That might be the only half decent thing to come out of this, Steve, is we actually will get to see Eze, Samuel, and we'll have to bring young Smith through. And then there's that young kid that's on lawn um, in the lower leagues, the strikers and everything else, and the keeper that's at lawn uh, at Doncaster. Stuff. We're going to have to rely on our own players. As much, I mean, how do you think Wimbledon will get through it, Kevin? I mean, you're moving to a new ground, wow. you're going to have new players. It's going to be frightening a little bit, is it? Yeah, I think partly for clubs like us, it's possibly levelling the playing field out a bit. When you think of clubs like, in, oh, well, us, South End, Tranmere, we're kind of, you know, not exactly rolling in cash, and yet we're in the same division as Sunderland and Ipswich and Portsmouth and clubs like that. Um, it's completely, you look at our ground, the current ground we have now, or we'll just say goodbye to, and we're in the same division as the team that play at the Stadium of Light. It's ridiculous. The, mm. It's it might level the playing for that a bit. We have got a great academy. We've got one of the genuinely, genuinely one of the best and most productive academies in the country, and it's been fantastic. The last home game, I think, of the eighteen players, I think eight were from the had gone through the academy at some point. We've just sold an academy player who's fourteen years old to Chelsea for a lot of money. I know how much it is, and I can't tell you, but it's a lot of money. It's more money than we've ever sold a new player for before. Um, he's 14 years old. He's the son of um, Stuart Castle, who played for Wimbledon in the, in the mid-90s. And he's married to Lucy Alexander from Homes Under the Hammer. Thank you. Um, so that, it, it, that <laughs> it would be lovely if we got into our first team. But all the coaches say, yes, that would be lovely, but he's far too good. There's no way on earth he's going to get to the point in three years' time and still play League One or League Two football. He, this, is, this is a premiership player, future England player. Already they can see that at 14. Wow. And that, that, that's, that's the point. He's like, yeah, it would be lovely for us to see those players come through, especially he's the, the, the son of a, one of our old players. But we've made a lot of money. And we, we are so short of money. We had to raise, said, £5.6 million to finish our stadium. The money from Leo's sale is where that goes, we don't know. But it's, it's needed. And the clubs like us, we have to, in Stevenage and Morecambe, those kind of clubs, you have to bring players through from the academy and then sell them on and forget the fact they'll never play for you. Sell them on, use the money. It's It's... It's a shame that you don't get to see him, but otherwise you you won't get to see anybody. As Paul alluded to earlier, that's what we're going to be now. You know, we're going to be <laughs> yeah. team, but, you know, um, we've got we we kind of got to accept our place, which is as Paul said, you know, a good hopefully a good championship side. But I, I haven't got no problem with that. You know, yeah. I just want to. I, I what I do want though is to be a good championship side. You know, yeah. At least have the potential to get into the playoffs every season to make it exciting. I'm fed up ending up around 19th and 20th place, you know? I don't want that anymore. 
I want to be a decent side so we can attract decent players. Because there is a, you know, one thing being a London club is that you can attract players, you know, even yeah. from overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do fancy living in London. I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the only reason bloody Caesar came to us, you know, the <laughs> goalkeeper, so his wife could go shopping in Harrods. It wasn't because he really wanted to play for QBR. You know? Yeah, that's true. I've got a, well, I've, well, can I ask a really trivial question? Does it just came to my mind? This is a question where you mix music and football. So, Stephen, what is your, what are your, I love this question, I just thought, thought of it. What are your thoughts on goal music? So, when your team scores a goal, music plays in the ground. I personally cannot stand it. I don't know why. <laughs> but as a, as a person who's made his, made his career and living in music but loves football, what do you think of your team scores a goal and you get Eat My Goal by Collapsed Lung or something? No, we get Pig Bag. You get Pig Bag. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't mind. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm ambivalent about it I don't really I don't really give it much thought because as soon as we score a goal the noise we make especially where I sit in Ansley Road is, is so loud kind of it tends to kind of drown out the pig bag until we've actually finished <laughs> so um, and I can understand why for some clubs it does add the spectrum I mean you, you, you've got to, don't forget there are going to be some people perhaps people that are visiting from overseas and they're going to a match just because they thought it's the thing to do that don't know how to celebrate when the goal's being mm-hmm. scored. So it's nice that there's a noise being made by the stadium just in case the supporters don't make yes, much noise, you know. And also, so, I love in the Championship and League One, you can celebrate your goal without thinking, hang on a minute, is that going to be a goal? You don't feel like a bit of a twat 10 minutes later when it's not a goal. That's... Yeah, but don't, don't forget, Kevin, at QPR during the Premier years, we celebrated having a corner. This is very true. So, so in fairness, a goal was... Not something to worry about. It was something to yeah, embrace. Yeah. I, I actually, and I actually quite like. Like, listen, I I kind of love the whole limbs and things going on and celebratory things because it's what I've grown up with. And um, I just think I don't know what Stephen thinks, but whoever plays at halftime music at QPR needs to be brought into twenty first century. But that's just my personal opinion. That disco funk thing gets on my nerves. But that's just me. Maybe we've I'm had, weird. We've had, the, we've had the same songs at halftime for four or five seasons. We always have. Um, Bonzo goes to Bitburg by the Ramones. Uh, we always have... Um, the Ramones I can live with. Yeah, but not every bloody home game. <laughs> it's the same song. I mean, you've got um, Jingo. Well, who, who did Jingo? I keep, it's not Santana, is it? That awful Jingo song. Yeah, the one. Jingo, Jingo, rock, that one. Whatever that is. That's, we've had that at halftime. It appears, feels like 18 years of halftime. The same song. It just... Oh, so I'm hoping the new stadium... Well, I don't think, I'm, I'm very pleased to discover that we won't have at the new stadium those floodlights you can make into a light show. What's going on there? Teams come out and there's bloody lights are flashing on everywhere, making, no. Do you want, do you like that? Just to me, it's, just like, it's, it's like becoming I'm a new stadium. I'm, I'm very envious of Brentford at the moment. I mean, that's a team that really have planned <clears> quite well, I think, yeah. for, for what they're doing. And, and, you know, watching that new stadium go up and... Uh, and in fact, my daughter's boyfriend is a Brentford supporter. And, you know, uh, I've got to say, you know, we, we, we talk about football quite often and, and I'm very envious of where they are. I, I, I just wish that we'd had the foresight to have acquired a plot like that. Yeah. And perhaps we could have, you know, like when this current Westfields development has been going on near QPR was first built. And now they're building luxury flats there right next to the Westway. I mean, why people want to live in a luxury flat right next to the Westway, yes. God only knows. But that could have been the perfect spot for us to have had a new, uh, a new ground before. And yet well, we, 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 set, 
No, we set a meeting. Like, it's funny to say that. We set a meeting. Because like, I used to be a fan rep, as you know. And we'd be sent to board. And it, no, there's no one near here. You had where Westfield is. You, yeah. And before that, you had White City Stadium. You know, we, it was all these areas. You think, run out of space. And they said, there's no one big enough to put a football ground. Along comes Westfield. And you kind of think. But I think that's gone now. I think for us, that area is... Yeah, yeah. Be, no, that's, that's now been given over to luxury flats and so on. Because it could have been... <laughs> You yeah. know, I think if we got in early enough, like Brent, can you, can you see actually what Brentford have done? It's very clever because there are lots of luxury flats around it, you know, that have been built. But it's, they managed to get it in, you know, it's the right kind of size as well, as you say, about a 25,000 kind of mark. Or but I think they're going to be 16 the team, but that's because something went wrong. But the whole thing was overseen by Mark Devlin, who, of course, worked the QPR and, and is a QPR fan. So that's another one that QPR let go, sadly, and went to Brentford. And, you know, I guess they're paying for it as well because if I don't know how they manage this team, and this is why I'm envious at the moment, they get the right players, they sell the right players, and they replace the right players, and they've just got this conveyor belt that goes yeah. along and along and along. But the conveyor um, belt of, of Norwegian, of Danish players and foreign players coming that you've never heard of. Nor yeah. We had one of them last, well, this season, we had Mad Sorensen. Excellent. You look at Brentford's, we had Marcus Force on loan from Brentford as well, who's Finnish was the best play we ever had by, by mile. But Brent, Brentford do seem to get things right. It must be difficult for you to say that. So well done for saying it out loud on the podcast. I don't really hate them, to be fair. I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. Brentford have a to, massive problem with us. It'd be hard to dislike Brentford. I like that. For me, as a, as a fan of, of a struggling League One side that were in the league nine years ago, I, I aspire for our club to be a Brentford. I don't, yeah. I'm not interested in getting get, get the Premiership. Lovely. In my lifetime, I don't really care. I aspire for us to be a of Brentford, that'd be great. The, the only thing is that they do here. I don't know if you've ever been to their, their ground, but um, the, yeah. the, the, the announcer won't even say our name. It's quite funny, really. He just says, um, mm. "The other team today is blah mm. blah blah," and he'll say that's Brentford, and the other team never says our name. I suppose he's I kind of. <clears throat> well, he does. We he does it all the time. Yeah, we didn't get away with not putting the uh, our. Say friends from uh, Buckinghamshire's name on the program or on the scoreboard, but there wasn't enough room on the scoreboard for their full name. Anyway, we got in trouble. We got fined for that because we didn't put the name in the program. Now, of course, from next season, you don't have to produce a program, do you? It's not a requirement anymore. That's interesting. Before we let you go, Stephen, by the way, do you do do you think there's ever been a good football record made, and could you do one that would be very good? How would, who would you get have involved? Uh, God, well, I actually have been involved in a couple of football records. I did that one with Sham sixty nine. Oh, I think it was for the World Cup or the Euros. I can't remember now. It was, a, it was for wow. England anyway. Yeah. Oh, okay. Doing that. Um, uh, has there been a great football record? I'm, I'm, I, I, I do like the New Order one. You know, <clears throat> it's got the uh, yeah. Yeah, and then also, yeah, I mean, I mean, the three lines on a shirt is a bloody good football record. It, it really does bond people together, I think. You know, I thought that was a, a genius bit of writing by Ian Brody and, and the other guys involved in that, um, David Baddiel and Frank Skinner. Um, so I think, you know, they're, they're the two that spring to my mind have been, uh, they were decent football. Track. Yeah. Well, do, do yourself a favour, Stephen. When when you've done this interview, go on YouTube and look up "Your Man" by Donna Donna, who was a Northern Ireland '82 World Cup song, and you can thank me when you see me in the pub. It <laughs> is 
the, the strangest, most bizarre <clears throat> World Cup. And I actually have it at home as well. Right here, because I am home, obviously. Um, yeah, so Dana doing the 1982 Northern World Cup record is superb. <laughs> you, you introduced me to that, Paul. It is a, it's, a, it's bonkers. It's a very, very strange thing. But this the idea of football records, right? The two things you like the most. Like I, the, I, football records, no, I've made one. I, did, and I don't, I'm happily mention it, but it's it, it okay. Um, football films. There's never, in my opinion, there's never been a good football film. Because the action is so awful. They just show close-up feet. Damned United's pretty good. Eh? Yeah. Damned United's pretty good. Yeah, but the, the, yeah, sorry, the Damned United, there wasn't an awful lot of action in it. It was more, it was more about Clough himself and the, the, the relationship yeah, yeah. between Clough and Taylor. But then actual fact, I mean, some of those, what's that awful programme? Is, is, is he a Chilean player that goes to Newcastle? Let's play it that way. That was cool. Goal. Is it called Goal? Yeah. I totally agree with you, Kevin. It's very hard to kind of get express football I think in a film kind of yeah. way really. mm-hmm. uh, that's why I think it only works well when it's uh, like a documentary like I mentioned yeah, about yeah. Sutherland you know till I die type thing it's it's, it's, it's very hard to try and ex- express the dynamics of football I think in, in film form yeah that's where they get it wrong I don't know who they get in to do the football action but it's, it's just the least convincing thing it's like I'm bend it like Beckham yeah. not a bad film but the, the, the football action is so awful to be fair, the four-year plan, the QPR film, The Fly on the Wall, was actually very good. Uh, yeah, because it's a documentary, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's I'm, just, not, yeah. Documentaries, I'm, I'm not... Documentaries, I'm not counting. If it had been a film, you would never believe it, though. It was the no. most insane no. thing you'll ever see no. in your life. Um, but actual films... Um, yeah, probably not, actually. Hello, yeah. No, 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 no. It's sad, really, because the world is crying out for... Um, Sylvester Stallone to dress up as a proper goalkeeper, I guess. <laughs> and who who is the Ipswich person? Because isn't it, was Kevin O'Callaghan had his arm broken, didn't he, in that film? Remember that? Yep, yep. And Pele was in it. Pele, Pele, and Kevin O'Callaghan in the same film. It's just nuts. You don't. That's all you need to say. You don't need to say any more than that. I think just that as, as your cast, a former <laughs> former Millwall player and Pele in the same film. The worst film I've ever seen was when Saturday Comes with Sean Bean. That's got to oh, be the God, worst football awful. film. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's quite... Episode 11. But... Oh, dear. Is he coming on? No, no. We have, we have a Sheffield United fan on. And we're talking about famous Sheffield United fans. Oh, yes. There must, there must be more than Sean Bean and Jessica Ennis. And um, Paul Heaton. There's a, there's a heavy metal guy. Oh, Joe Elliott from, from Def Leppard. Yes. There you go. And uh, guess- have, you ever, have, you, have you ever produced a heavy metal band, um, Stephen? And would you be interested in one? No, heavy, heavy metal doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I could just... Oh, really? No, it's okay. that, that kind of big hair genre, kind of, you know, heavy rock thing doesn't appeal in any way whatsoever at all. Uh, so no. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever happen. <laughs> I know my, my favourite, one of my favourite all-time records, actually, to be honest with you, is Zombie by the Cranberries, because it came out at a time of the peace process, we're starting off, and um, I know she's no longer with us, but that must have been an incredible record to work on, because you got it right. There's been so many records about Northern Ireland that are horrendous, and they don't get it right, they use the wrong words, they think it's, everyone hates each other, that type of thing, but I think Zombie, just for the record was the best record ever written about the Troubles. So, well done in producing that one. Well done, the band, you know, Dolores. So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, 
one of those tracks actually that we were having fun with because the Cranberries up to that point were, were known for doing very kind of soft rock type, you know, things like Dreams and Lingo and so on. But they've been touring America a lot. And while, whilst they've been touring, the, the guys in the band especially had kind of started to develop a liking for, uh, you know, some of the kind of the grungier bands that were out at the time, uh, like Soundgarden and Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah. Kind of stuff and fashion pumpkins particularly were an influence on that you know for me production wise i thought that's what we've got to try and get you know so um yeah and uh, we kind of we were just having fun with it really weren't thinking of it being a single or anything like that because you know we obviously thought it would be the softer tracks that would be picked out to be singles but it just took off and it took on a life of its own and um yeah it's become one of the biggest songs I've ever worked on, you know, it's just it's a, it's a monster, really. Is it's huge? And not past that, is at all, which is very hard to know now because I say most of the songs are based now. If you were, and we will let you go, Stephen, because I'm sure you've got a life to get on with. I do apologize. Um, if you were to do a QPR record with Pete Dock, could it ever happen, or would you use somebody else or get a group of QPR? You got Pete Dock, you got Robert Smith, you got Mick Jones. Um, we've, got, we've got quite a good music heritage at um, QPR, I've got to say. It's uh, it's quite a, a cool, trendy club from the music point of view. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, they're, they're funny things, aren't they? You know, these football records. I mean, as I say, I have been involved in one or two in the past. Um, I think I, I think I, there's one song, actually, uh, I think it's... Broken Love Song, which which Pete yes. uh, did on, on, on his solo record, which mentions the, the sound drifting from Loftus Road to his uh, his flat and so on. So we've alluded to football in one of the songs. Uh, I'm quite happy just to leave it with that a bit. <laughs> that, is actually, that is actually a really good record that I don't think ever been played at uh, Queen's Park Rangers, which is really a shame because it actually, it, the way he, when he's doing the video in that, though, he actually talks about Rangers. There's passion there, so yes. We, yeah. um, we we might give them a nudge in that one, Stephen. You never know. Do you okay. get extra royalties if they play it? Oh, uh, tiniest, teeny, weeny, weeny one. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-eight pence, isn't it? On Spotify, you get about half a penny for every play there. But oh, yeah. don't I feel sorry for bands because mm-hmm. neither can. So God knows how they're going to make the money with all these flipping counterfeits and everything else going on. But never mind, it's nothing. Just the weekend sell. Do Facebook concerts and and then put them on PayPal beyond a, beyond a paywall. Be able to pay to watch them. That's the only thing they can do. It's very difficult for bands at the moment. It's really hard. But my my friend's band is Ben Ben Wood and the Bad Ideas. They're releasing twelve singles um, each what, a single month. The idea originally was they were going to do record all twelve in the space of a week and then drip feed them. They thought, no, let's let's be let's be let's do this properly. Let's record one single a month. That's a little bit tricky. They've done it so far. They managed to get four out. But they're all now doing it remotely, and it's 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 really challenging for them. But it's, it's a lovely idea, and then, yeah. but now they're wishing they just spent a week in the studio, got Bangle twelve out. But now they're doing videos as well, so doing remote videos. They did a great video for their third single off that album, uh, off the oh, it's going to be an album. Um, behind the, I think it's behind the Ritz Hotel, basically where um, Subterranean Homesick Blues was filmed with the with the with the. Um, <laughs> Right. It's great, I'll send you the link. It's a fantastic video. I've just remembered one more QPR fan to put on the list of singers, Stephen. Sarah Cracknell. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, she's a Rangers fan. Sits in the lower loft. I'll tell you, we're going to get this record out, Stephen. We're going to make the loft rock. I can tell you. Oh, that yeah. never happened. We'll try our best, Stephen. You've been brilliant as always. Hopefully see you in Rangers.
Take care, guys. Pleasure Thank taking you part. Much. Look Cheers. after yourself. Stay safe, then. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you, much. Mate. Take it easy. Cheers, Cheers Paul. Bye. Bye. So, Stephen Street now. Um, I do actually own 22 albums he's produced. <laughs> a bit fanboyish, but it wasn't. It's true. And I'm very pleased that you actually recommend he uh, recognised the record he produced 21 years ago. Uber, Uberman, The Magic Treehouse is a pretty obscure record, but it ain't worth it. Um, I'm going to look it up and play it now. Yeah, we, I was going to show the Triffids Black Swan, but I think that's a bit of an obvious one because it's a kind of an iconic cover. Um, but he was great. What a great guest. So thank you for listening. Um, yes, other than Paul's little um, uh, anecdote, we're going to hold on to the interview with the, uh, the Verona fan, Andrea Pasquin, until the next episode because we've got such good guests lined up. So we've got on episode uh, 11... We've got uh, the broadcaster and uh, camp social campaigner, Charlie Webster. He's a Sheffield United fan. Episode 12, we've got the actor, Reese Dinsdale, who sports Huddersfield Town. And episode 13, we have the uh, best-selling author and historian, Dr. Simon Elliott, who will be telling Oof. us how the Romans invented football. So most of, most of episode 13, we talk about football in Roman times. So... How, how many other podcasts are going to cover the Roman Empire in their football in their f- football coverage? It's not going to happen, is it? Just does Starkey does Starkey like football? Who? Starkey. He doesn't like football, does he? Oh, the, hus- the historian Starkey. Yeah. Never. And, and a, and a, no. Funny that. Can't well, imagine it though. Simon Sharma sports uh, Sutton United. We'll get him on. Um, okay. I don't think he does really. But, but although, having said that, Tim Vine does, doesn't he? Let's get let's uh, Tim Vine. What a great! If anyone knows Tim Vine, who's listening to this, and you can get us Tim Vine on, uh, we will thank you by sending you one of our famous sausage paper plates. Um, and we have been approached by a potential sponsor, so let's we won't tell you who that is. So maybe maybe the technical issues that we have will go away because we can improve our broadband um, with the with the money these people are going to hand hopefully hand us. Anyway, so uh, we'll be back next week with with Charlie Webster. So Paul, thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for everything. No, thank you, Kevin. No, no, thank you. I'm going to thank each other. So now, behind Paul's head, you can now see a, um, a sort of a, a map of Queen's Park Rangers kits. Where does that stop? Um, it starts... Oh, gosh. Uh, it stops at 2006 and seven. Okay. I, 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 I'm too tired to keep buying the same painting every year with newer kits on it. <laughs> because it's a lot of painting, isn't it? Yeah, so I've got to keep this, and it'll be retro in a few years. And um, actually, do you know what? It's got some good... I, Got some good kits on it. I do. I do like a lot of the kits on that. To be fair, a lot of my my years standing in the loft have been on this here. And um, I'm just wondering if we'd have played in green and white hoops and continued it, whether I'd been able to be a QPR fan growing up in Ralph Kill. Yeah. You know what? That's a story for another day. Because when I said '75, that the the away kit was the white half. Is that on that map? No, it's not. Is yeah, it? Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. I can't show you because I'm what. Um, it's uh, it's up there, but I can't show you because I haven't worked out how you do it yet with the uh, the oh, camera. It's, it's on a, it's on the radio. No one's no one can see this. I'm just liking what I can see behind you. Anyway, right. So that's and, I, and I've actually yeah, walked so, around with the phone, pointed at a picture right, that on, no one it, can see. It makes fantastic radio. From Paul and myself, thank you very much indeed. Thanks to um, uh, the wonderful Fuzz and the Felts for um, their music, which we haven't played much of because we haven't had. Uh, too many of our features because uh, we're doing a new format until football comes back. Thanks to Nick Draper for producing and, and editing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And um, you will catch us again very soon. Bye.